Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mason. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to talk 2020 off-season review with one of my favorite guests. He's a frequent guest on this show, very passionate, long-standing Jets fan, suffering with the rest of us, unfortunately. But does he think that the Jets did enough to turn the corner this offseason. I'm talking, of course, about the senior political correspondent for National Review, Mr. Jim Garrity. Jim, welcome back to the show, sir. Scott, thank you so much for having me here. Um, I am. Uh, I, I want to be cheery and optimistic about the year to come. I think 2020 has been off to a challenging start, so we can all use a really good Jet season to, uh, to cheer ourselves for the second half of the year. I think the current, you know, probably the very best news we can feel right now is that at least at this point, it certainly looks like we'll have a football season. So that'd be a good thing to say. Well, let's start with an apology, not just for me, but on behalf of all Jets fans, I think, because the last time you were on the show, we were discussing your offseason plan that you had written out. And you got a lot of flack for it. And I would like to think that I was nice about it, but I did sort of needle you a little bit about some of the things that you said in your offseason plan. And two of them were that the Jets were going to be able to get Brian Poole and Jordan Jenkins with just modest raises. But guess what? You were the one that was right because Poole was making $3.5 million last year. You said he would get a slight bump. And the same thing happened with Jordan Jenkins, who was making $2.2 million. You said he would get a slight bump. Poole is now going to be making $5 million, and Jenkins is going to be making $3.25 million. So you were right, and everybody else is wrong. Take a victory lap. Well, I will do that, Scott. Thank you. I think that might be the only two things I got right. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a, and you did point out that my uh, estimates for most of the players and what we could get, in, who we could get in free agency and what we'd have to pay for them, uh, was even further off than the budget projections from the Congressional Budget Office. This was, you know, I could have thrown darts at a dartboard and had more accurate numbers than, uh, than what I was doing there. And I, I had wanted to see the Jets swing big and go for a bunch of big players, and I think they wanted them to, you know, um, I was willing to, for them to not bring back Robbie and instead get Amari Cooper. Clearly that wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, there were a lot of – I looked at who was available at that time and just wanted to populate the team – with the best players I could and swing for the fences. And that was not the approach that Joe Douglas used. 
I think he's been pretty good. I think he's a better team. I am uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, look, based purely on roster, I'm more optimistic. On, on the overall state of the team, I'm not sure that I am. Uh, I think we're going to see a, a dramatic step, though. Let's start with the offensive line because I think that that was an area we agreed going into the offseason Joe Douglas is going to pinpoint, and he certainly did. The question is, did he make the right moves? Did he make enough of an improvement from last year? You look at free agency, brings in George Fant to take over for Kelvin Beecham or for Chuma Doga slash Brandon Shell, whichever way you want to look at it, he's probably going to be one of the starting tackles. Chumadoga is still here. They go out, they get Makai Becton with the number 11 pick. Massive man. We know what his potential is. He'll probably struggle a little bit as a rookie, but for the long haul, hope springs eternal. Then you look at the rest of the offensive line. Connor McGovern, really good center. At guard, Alex Lewis comes back. He was hurt last year. He's been hurt every year of his career, but status quo there. And then you bring in Greg Van Roten to, I presume, compete with Brian Winters for the other guard spot. So when you look at everything in total in terms of who they brought in here and changing this offensive line, do you think they did enough to address it? And what are your thoughts specifically on the selection of Becton? Wait, when you say the word, did they do enough? I think it's safe to say they did a lot. I think they may have done almost everything they could. I think there was a couple other free agents that I'd wanted them to break out the bank for. Um, the question is, did they make the right moves? And I think, you know, Connor McGovern at center looks like a very, uh, probably the most reliable choice the Jets could have made. Um, and, you know, having solid play at center looks really, you know, first of all, we got really spoiled for a lot of years there uh, between Mangold and uh uh, our, our Hall of Famer, um, uh, Kevin Mawai, and maybe even going back to the days of Jim Sweeney. Mm. Uh, the Jets always seem to have a pretty solid, you know, uh, person up front in the center. And when you don't have that, both for the last couple of years, it was really revealing that, that was that's going to bring down the quality of play on there. So again, you know, good 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 reviews of him in Denver. He's only 27 years old. You know, they, they had to. You know, shell out a considerable amount of money, but that's fine. That, yeah, about nine million dollars a year, but that's fine. That's what you need. Uh, probably going to pay for himself, so to speak. Uh, Greg Van Roten, you know, from Carolina, solid, solid. The um, I wouldn't mind them going out and get that guy from the Saints who got just got cut. Um, but uh, you know, you, you clearly, I, I had almost gone into this year saying I wanted five new starters from last year. <laughs> that probably is exaggerated. You're probably going to have four. Uh, you didn't mention George Fant of of Seattle. I don't think that – I think in the ideal scenario, he's not starting for the Jets. But his role with Seattle was that he was a probably the most solid sixth man you could shift in at either right tackle or left tackle. Um, and, you know, probably – look, heading into the draft, we knew we needed a offensive lineman. We had not – you know, um, we had not drafted uh, – uh, offensive lineman in the early rounds under McKagan, other than, I guess you could say, Udo, uh, Chuma Udoga. Uh, Becton was a fine pick. I, like everybody else, was entranced with the uh, uh, the tape of him at the Combine. You hear the guys from NFL Network just gasping that somebody that big could move that fast. Um, I certainly hope that Becton can start soon. Um, there are a couple of people I've heard say, oh, you start him at right tackle for one year, and then you move him over to the left or something. You know, assuming he can handle the duties, I'd like to plug him in, put him at left tackle, get him used, get him rhythm with uh, with Sam Darnold, and just get him, you know, set in, set in there. Um, also, kind of intrigued by uh, Cameron Clark, the fourth round, the uh, fourth round pick. 
UNC Charlotte, another big guy. I mean, most teams would be freaking out about the possibility of having two rookie tackles on their offensive line. These are both really big guys. Both, you know, I mean, like, I, again, if they don't start immediately, that's fine. But these are two guys I'd like to see in the lineup as quickly as possible. I think that, you know, in, raw, in terms of raw talent, they're great. Um, I think I mean, something, something I probably should have began with, uh, Scott, is my thought that, like, you look at the, the sheer names on the roster and the resumes they bring and what they've done on the football field. On paper, that's a very impressive group for the Jets overall. However, since we know because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, a lot of the offseason uh, practices and such will be different. The uh, uh, mandatory you know, mini camps and other events probably aren't going to go forward. Um, it's going, you know, this is the, the, particularly on the offensive line where you want your guys to gel. This is probably going to catch up with the Jets at some point. Ideally, you'd like to have as much time for them to get their reps, get practice, get to know each other, get to be familiar with each other, particularly if you're going to have three, maybe four new starters on the offensive line. And that's probably going to hurt the Jets. And our you know, schedule, and particularly in the early part, is kind of brutal. But um, at least the pieces would appear to be in place, even if it's probably going to take, time for the, take more time for the, uh, for the cake to, to be baked, so to speak. Wide receiver, another area of weakness. Robbie Anderson gone. He's off to Carolina to reunite with his old college coach, Matt Rule. Also, Quincy Inunua placed on injured reserve. Not a huge surprise to anybody. It's unfortunate. We know he's talented, but he can't stay healthy. And so in their place, we get Brashad Perriman, who comes in here from Tampa. He's a guy that Joe Douglas is familiar with. He was still with the Ravens when Perriman was drafted. And then, of course, you get Denzel Mims out of Baylor with the 59th pick. So let's talk about this, Jim. First of all, what do you think about the change at wide receiver? And second of all, Denzel Mims, that's a guy that a lot of people thought could go in the first round. Certainly nobody thought he was going to make it to 59. Joe Douglas traded down, still got him. What did you think of that pick? And were you surprised they didn't do more at wide receiver, perhaps even drafting two or three guys? Yeah, well, I'll start with the Mims pick. And i got to tell you, um, you know, as we all sat down on our couches to watch the NFL draft this year, um, you know, early in the pandemic, it was the first live sports event we'd had in quite some time. Um, I and, and my dad and my brother and all the Jet fans I knew, like, the first night, was, actually the first two rounds were fabulous because, uh, we, you know, as you're going through it, you're like, oh, I hope we get one of those good tackles. And then Becton is there at the pick 11, and you're like, ah, oh, great, great, look, this guy's going to be terrific, you know. Um, and by the way, for what it's worth, I didn't see a huge difference amongst those top four tackles. Uh, I probably would have been happy with any of the four. Becton's fine. And then in the second round, you're like, okay, so here's, you know, everybody, even, you know, uh, Mike McKagan did pretty good on his first round picks. Those, those are the easy ones. And it's the second round and beyond. Okay, let's see what you can do here. And then he trades back. So we have to wait. We're kind of leaning forward and who's going to be left and you have in your head this, you know, from all the draft guides, which guy you thought was going to be there and. Somebody's seen, you know, and look, oh, Mims is dropping down. Okay. And there just seemed to be this run on receivers. You're like, oh, we, we really needed one of those guys. Uh, uh. And the tension building, trading back again. Like, oh, my goodness. And then finally, at 59, the Jets are on the clock. And they pick Mims, and you watch that highlight film, and you're feeling super-duper terrific. Um, the first two rounds, everybody I knew was thrilled with the Jets. It looked like some sort of, you know, three-level chess to get the extra draft pick, uh, for you know, while still getting Mims. Um i hearing some folks, some say, well, it's going to take a while for Mims to, you know, to get up to speed to the NFL game. We really could use him to make an impact as soon as possible. Um, 
I think it would have been nice to go into the season with Robbie Anderson and put Mims in a position where he could be the third receiver, you know, where he, he could take the time to grow and develop. You look at the rest of the receivers on this roster, we really need Denzel Mims to step up and be an impact player. Um, uh, you know, it, it is – and, in fact, if there's any area of the roster, you look at, you know, like Joe Douglas and you feel like he didn't quite get it done and may have left the team in a, in a rough, sp- rough spot, it's in wide, wide receiver. Um, but I also thought the, the contract that Anderson signed with Carolina was not breaking the bank, was not a runaway. I figured somebody else would, you know, get him and spend a huge amount of money. I had mixed feelings. I felt like Robbie Anderson, you had like four or five games a year where he was spectacular. You'd have four or five games a year where he was okay. And then maybe you'd have like five or six games where you didn't hear his name called very much. Um, I thought he was on the cusp of being a breakout player. I thought he, you know, but he just wasn't consistent. And I, you know, the idea of investing an ungodly sum in a guy who hasn't quite proven himself uh, to be the, you know, your, your number one receiver that the other team's defense has to worry about all the time. You know, I, I can understand the Jets' hesitation, but the Panthers did not throw a back up a Brinks truck and throw a huge amount of money at him. So I was slightly frustrated, that's okay. Um, Brashad Perriman, you know, if if you know they got him relatively cheap, if he turns out to be, if he turns out to be as good as he looked in those last five games, wonderful. And Joe Douglas looks like a genius. I'm not counting on a lot from Brashad Perriman. Um, I, it's nice that he you know uh, was able to thrive as Jameis Winston was having his 30 for 30 season. Um, that's not a reference to the ESPN program. That's 30 <laughs> interceptions and 30 touchdowns in one year. Um, did, by the way, Scott, did, did Tampa Bay run the ball at all last year? Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Any year we are quarterback has hits the high double digits in both of those categories it means he was throwing it a heck of a lot of time. Um, not all that excited. I, mean, I, I get to watch a decent amount of the Redskins games down here, and I was not seeing huge exciting things from uh, from Dotson. Um, you know, I, I think we've already gotten the best receiver on the Red uh, on the Redskins last year. I don't think there's any more time, more more point to go picking over their uh, their roster. You know, beyond that, I know that, you know, that there's been a lot of discussion by uh, you and Joe Caparoso and other guys about how you can use um, Le'Veon Bell as a wide receiver. We're going to be using the tight ends a lot. That You know, maybe there are things you can do with your offense to kind of uh, obscure the state of your roster if you don't have a top-flight group of wide receivers. But, you know, in addition to the frustration of your third-year wide receiver, I mean, sorry, your third-year quarterback, um, and just knowing Sam Darnold has not been given a lot of support of the first two years of his career. Um, we may finally give him a decent offensive line. He may not have to spend nearly as much time trying to evade defensive linemen who are bursting into the backfield. But the offsetting problem is he's not going to have the receivers that, uh, uh, that you know, a, a good quarterback should have. Uh, and we'll see how things shake out there. But I'm, that's another reason I'm a little frustrated by this. I, I don't see the Jets making a trade between now and the start of the season. I don't think it anybody's going to shake loose in training camp the guys who get shake loose in training camp are getting cut for a reason so i'm not expecting some dramatic uh upgrade from the jets uh in that so i mean you know paraman and uh uh you know i mean i get if you can get a a you know really exciting rookie season out of denzel mims all of these problems go away or a good portion of these problems go away if he takes some time to develop as a rookie receiver then i think the jets uh passing game will not be what we've come to expect from this team, and particularly from a, a franchise that's had a you know a, a history of the 
Wesley Walkers and Al Toons and uh, Wayne Corbett's and Keyshawn Johnson's. You know, the Jets have always been associated with good wide receivers. Every year we don't have a good wide receiver. It's even more frustrating than usual. At running back, the old war horse, Bilal Powell, finally gone, unfortunately. Sad to see him go, but he is getting up there, so you knew it was going to happen. Ty Montgomery, who I think touched the ball like four times last year, also gone. In their place, Frank Gore, who's 37 years old, and also LaMichael Pirine, who the Jets picked in the fourth round. A lot of people thought the Jets were going to pick a speed back. They didn't. They went out and they got a guy who knows the system in Gore and Pirine, who's more of an inside-the-tackles kind of guy. And then a quarterback, surprise, in the fourth round, they picked Captain Morgan out of Florida International. So what do you think, Jim? You like the running back changes, and were you on board with picking a backup quarterback in the fourth round? Well, I think one of the things that jumps out about Frank Gore is that the Jets managed to sign him for just, I believe, just a little more than a million dollars a year. Some of that, Scott, is because Gore will also be collecting Social Security. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, as you, <laughs> I, mean, it's like, I mean, Frank Gore has been really good um, for decades almost. Uh, <laughs> but this is, I, I'm, I'm curious about how much tread there is on the tires. Um, if he if he's still got it, great. Um, he you know he's, he's managed to contribute. He did not do a heck of a lot in Buffalo last year, and maybe they didn't need you know, again. The Jets wouldn't need him to be the, the workhorse back. I, I do think though that between P. Ryan and Frank Gore and Le'Veon Bell, it looks like a formula for if not quite running back by committee. Um, that Le'Veon Bell would not be guaranteed of getting a you know twenty carries a game and being the the whole focus of the offense. And so my first thought is if you're not going to use Le'Veon Bell, who the Jets have spent a, a, you know, roughly a bazillion dollars on, I, you know, you're, you're like, okay, so why, you know, signing him last, the biggest start of last year was like the, um, one of the few feathers in the cap of Mike McKagan and just seemed like this, all right, this is our offense. We went out, we got one of the top running backs in the game. He's still young. Um, yeah, he had a lot of carries, but he's taken a, taken a year off the game. Let's go. And, I, I, you know, if he had a little bit of a reputation coming out of Pittsburgh, you and I and Mickey White had talked about that a bit. Um, I think Le'Veon Bell was a perfect good soldier last year. I, you know, he, I, I, he did not create distractions. He was not an issue in the locker room. Um, in fact, I think there were a lot of games out there where it seemed like Le'Veon Bell was the one guy on that field who was still giving 110% until the final whistle blew at the end of the fourth quarter. Um, and I, you know, and I felt I was very impressed with Le'Veon Bell, but, you know, at least you know, on that. He, he didn't have great stats, but he felt like in terms of being the kind of teammate and, and player you'd want to see, hey, good for you, Le'Veon Bell. Um, so I don't know how he will react if he ends up getting 15 carries a game or, or less the focal point of the offense. Maybe, I suppose, a sufficiently creative offensive mind could, um, uh, could, uh, could you know, put uh, Le'Veon Bell out at receiver a lot, like we saw the Jets do with him every now and then in the last season, and that'd be really kind of exciting to watch. He certainly made some great catches. Um, that would happen if the Jets had a great creative offensive mind uh, there, there, Scott, but uh, they have Adam Gase. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, what's his name? Dowell, Dowell Logan's, but I keep thinking of the actor who he looks like. Pat Oswalt. Yes, Pat Oswalt, you know. He, but he, he's good at those challenges, so that, that's what Pat Oswalt's good for. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite sure I understand the Jets' long-term strategy at uh, running back, unless P. Ryan turns into, you know, uh, the between-the-tackles smashing guy that we've, we really haven't had since, like, the days of Chris Ivory.
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk a little defense now, Jim. First of all, what are your thoughts on the Jamal Adams situation? Should they go ahead and trade him? Would he be happy with just getting a whole lot of money? Should the Jets hold the line and wait until next year when it's a little more palatable? What do you think? Um, My first thought is pay the man. If, If any player on the Jets has earned that big second contract, it is, uh, it is President Adams. There's really no two ways about that. I think, you know, look, the shadow of Adam Gase looms over this franchise. I'm sorry, I'm just not sold on him. I didn't see anything last year that made me feel like he was the right choice. I've had modest optimism in training camp. It's like, okay, maybe he just had a really lousy experience in Miami. and Maybe he is ready to make the next big step as a coach, and I didn't see it. We've heard the rumors that players don't want to sign, don't want to play for Gase. He's lost the locker room in Miami. I don't know if it's accurate to say that's happened here at the Jets, but I, I, the Jets are not operating with deep reserves of goodwill, either from their fan base or from other teams as well. And when you saw some of these uh, uh, free agents sign with other teams who were reportedly interested in the Jets or the Jets were in the mix for, you start wondering, you know, do they have a lousy reputation as a franchise? Certainly have been doing a lot of winning on the field. So you got to win people, you know, you got to attract those free agents. You got to bring people in with something else. And that may very well be, you know, if you had a great coach, okay, there are some people who always want to play for your coach. 
I think Greg Williams is that kind of coach who has um, who can be the deciding factor for guys who have played for him in the past and can't wait to to play for him again. I don't know if uh, so if, if you know if if the Jets were let Jamal Adams sign somewhere else or if they were to trade him. Now I'll, I'll preface this by saying if at some point somebody wants to do the equivalent of the Herschel Walker trade or the Ricky Williams trade that uh, Mike Ditka did when he was with the Saints, you know, basically offer you almost a ton of draft picks and multiple number ones. And then, okay. All right. Then you got to consider that. And by the way, when Joe Douglas was reportedly exam, you know, listening to off- offers for Jamal Adams right before the trade deadline last year, I don't think Jamal Adams should be all that offended by it. He, he, he made, you know, he made a stink about it. He clearly was very upset by it, but you know, you're gonna have to refresh my memory here, Scott, but wasn't, wasn't the rumor that it was like two number ones and a number two or something like that? It was a one and two twos was the rumor that yeah, that's what Joe right? Douglas that's was That's a pretty for. hefty uh, uh, sum for a, you know, a, a safety. It's a very good safety, no two ways about it. Um, but the, uh, the the fact that the Jets said, no, this guy is worth more than a one and two twos, that, that's actually, you know, he, he shouldn't be offended. He should be like, okay, my team values me. Um, now, another way you show value for somebody who comes in, does his part to change the culture, does his part to make an impact on the field. I think you can argue that Jamal Adams almost single-handedly won the Giants game last year, is you reward them. And he's going to want to be paid the, the best you know, salary of any safety in the game. Well, he probably is the best safety in the game. And the thing with a lot of these, you know, the, the, between the salary cap and other factors, that whoever the highest, payer, highest paid player at any particular position is, Somebody's going to overtake him within a year. Somebody else is going to, you know, say, "Oh, you, oh, Jamal Adams got that kind of money. I want to get that. I want even more than that." So whenever you're like, "Oh my goodness, do we want to spend this much at this position?" You know, look, yeah, a safety is not quite as important as a uh, shutdown corner, as a left tackle, as a quarterback, or or maybe as your, you know, uh, game-changing uh, outside linebacker uh, or, or defensive end type. But Jamal Adams does just about everything he possibly can to influence the game week after week, particularly on weeks when we've, we've gone out there when the Jets said, you know, uh, you know, forgotten. Do they, if they had a lot backup quarterbacks and Irving Schmidt off the street is starting and you know, the, the <laughs> small victory be if they can get a, uh, uh, a single, you know, first down in the first half, you know, Jamal Adams plays hard even when the rest of the team is not, you know, playing up to snuff. And so I, I kind of think you have to reward that. This is supposed to be the kind of – the Jets talk a lot about saying this is the kind of guy you build your franchise around. Okay, start building your franchise around him. Make that long-term commitment. I, I, you know, whatever cap pressure you're going to find yourself in, my guess is Jamal Adams is going to you know, earn that pay much more than a whole bunch of these other guys you've, got, you've seen. And I just think the image of Jamal Adams going and playing in another team's uniform, whether it's the Cowboys through a trade or some other team, if they let him hit the market as a free agent um, – would be tremendously dispiriting both to the fan base and I think just the general mood around the franchise. It'd be a very clear signal that we draft you, you excel, you become the best player at your position, and not even then would the Jets be willing to, you know, open up the bank account and do what it takes to make you stay. Let's talk about the edge rusher position, Jim, because we know that Jamal Adams did a really good job of being able to blitz last year and create some havoc that we haven't seen from really anybody at any position that the Jets have had in a while. Just an exciting player who could make things happen like that. 
Were you surprised that the Jets didn't do more in terms of securing a better edge rush in the 2020 offseason? Because they did bring back Jordan Jenkins, which we talked about, and they did get Jabari Zaniga out of Florida in the third round, but there was no major splash in free agency. There was no big-time investment at edge. Do you think that's just something where Joe Douglas realized he wasn't going to be able to fill every need in one offseason? Apparently so. Um now, I'm looking at overthecap.com, and it says $24 million in cap space, which seems like a lot. Um, they have not signed – Clowney is still out there. Now, apparently Clowney wants like $20 million a year, and everyone's saying he's not going to get it. I don't love Clowney, but if I'm the Jets, and this is my roster, and it looks like I'm going to head into the season with outside linebackers of uh, Jordan Jenkins and maybe Jabari Zuniga – uh, he was the uh, fourth round pick. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the end of the third round, the second of the two third, two third round picks. Um, you know, Zuniga could be good. I, I'd love to see him turn out to be great. I, I'm trying not to uh, judge him as the next uh, Jakai Polite just because he's an outside linebacker defensive end from the University of Florida. Um, you know, but he, he could be great, but you know, the, most people feel like Zuniga went around where he was supposed to go. And your late third rounders, Generally, they're pretty good, but they're not game-changing. You know, uh, you know, you know, the, the kind of guys that you know, the other team's offensive coordinator is lying awake at night, unable to sleep because he's afraid of how he's going to, you know, protect his quarterback from him. Um, so there's a part of me that might be reaching out to Clowney just to say, okay, what what do you really want for this year? What what would it take to put you in green this year? And maybe we give you a, a contract that's full of incentives or full of you know performance bonuses and you know. Things like that to make it a little more cap friendly, maybe a one year prove it deal. And I, maybe Clowney doesn't want that. Maybe Clowney absolutely is convinced he's going to get some, you know, super long term deal that will lock him up and, you know, uh, guarantee him a fleet of yachts he's always wanted or whatever it is. And, you know, if that's what his price is going to be, okay, I guess, I guess it wouldn't be able to work out. But um, I talk about how much my enthusiasm for those first two rounds. Um, I was initially very disappointed with the selection of Ashton Davis. I realize he's technically listed as a safety, but he can play cornerback and a variety of other defensive back positions. I just didn't think the Jets need. You know, I just felt like the Jets had bigger needs, and there were more promising players at that uh, players, particularly at uh, outside linebacker like that. Um, I'm familiar with the theory floating around the fan base that Ashton Davis is the long-term replacement for Marcus May. But the team likes Marcus May, but they're not going to be able to afford both him and Jamal Adams. Thus, they need uh, somebody to be his replacement in the long, t- long term. And I know Ashton Davis can return kicks, and he's a very dynamic player. and there's a lot. You know, he's like a Swiss Army knife. You can use, use him in all kinds of different ways. So if that comes to pass, great. Uh, it's possible I will, come, I will eventually uh, see the selection of Ashton Davis as a great pick. But, you know... Much and you and I discussed. I think one of the previous programs that I was on, um, I was kind of disappointed with the Quinn and Williams season. Uh, I felt like we could have used uh, the good Josh Allen at that position, and, and we needed an outside linebacker more than we needed a good disruptive nose tackle or defensive tackle. I'm hoping Quinn and Williams has a bigger impact this season, and you know I'm I'm pulling for Quinn and Williams. I just feel like sometimes you got to pick where you have the bigger hole in your roster. And that was my sense of what the Jets did with that first pick in the third round. Um, I, I would have liked to see an outside linebacker edge rusher taken a little bit earlier. But who knows? You know, maybe Zuniga comes in and Joe Douglas looks like a genius. You know, I, I too, had, I did want Jordan Jenkins to come back. 
I know we've got some nice backup guys. Uh, you know, Frankie Louvu is one of my dad's favorites. Um, you know, Basham had a couple of good games here and there. Uh, you know, but all in all, I think if you're a defensive uh, the coordinator for an, a Jets opponent, you're not really stressing about the outside linebackers. And that's a little bit frustrating for the, the state of this team as they head into which really should be a make-or-break season. I'm now thinking about the possibility of Jadavian Clowney not signing a contract and instead having a fleet of yachts that he goes from city to city in throughout <laughs> the year. So thanks, Jim. You just gave me a really good idea to pitch to NFL Network or some production company or something like that. <laughs> Let's talk about the rest of the defense, though. Cornerback. Last year, mm. a terrible group of cornerbacks. Let's not sugarcoat this. Tremaine Johnson is gone. Daryl Roberts is gone. And not a moment too soon. We've got Bless Austin coming back, who showed some signs of life last year. Same thing with Arthur Millette. Now you've got Pierre Desir coming in from Indianapolis, somebody with legitimate starting experience. They made a pick in the fifth round with Bryce Hall, who looks like he could be a big-time steal out of the University of Virginia. They go out and they get Quincy Wilson from the Colts, some depth there. He was a second-round pick in 2017, just didn't really fit what they were looking to do. So what do you think? Because my impression of the cornerback room now is they went from absolutely horrible to eh, maybe there might be some pieces here worth saving. I, I think that's a pretty good way of looking at it. Uh, they went from... You know, uh, the cupboard is bare to the cupboard. The cupboard is full of guys. I think we could all describe as just intriguing uh, guys with very high upsides. You know, very few, you know, just, uh, to paraphrase Rick Pitino, Darrell Revis is not walking through that door. Um, but I think one, of the, the, one that jumps out, uh, bless one Austin, uh, when they drafted him out of Rutgers, he was, you know, it was, was it like two ACLs? It was some, like, terrible injuries. And I jokingly said, oh, yeah, that's the kid who had his legs uh, severed. But otherwise, he looks really good. Uh, and, and, you know, I wasn't counting on much of anything. He was either was a sixth-round pick, seventh-round pick, um, you know, not considered to be a guy you'd be counting on much. They put him in around the middle of the season. I was able to watch the Jets game uh, against the Redskins in, you know, in Washington last year, and he was just a beast. He, he was, you know, knocking passes down and blanketing his guy and, and just, you know, I was like, oh, wow, wow, we got a real cornerback here. Now, later in the season, he – you know, the rookie stumbles kind of caught up to him, but you're like, okay, this is a guy who could, you know, you could pencil in as a starter, and he'd be no worse than okay. And who knows? Maybe he'd be really good. Uh, you mentioned they brought Poole back. Um, and then everybody else is just, you know, first of all, we, we, we seem to be collecting ex-Colts, Nate Harrison, <laughs> Pierre Desir. Um, you know, I, I think it, maybe the, the selection of Bryce Hall um, – Again, as long as he recovers from injury, he's going to be one of those guys. where he's, he, Between that and, and Blesson Austin, the Jets may have hit the jackpot on two guys who are coming off injury, which, by the way, this, this franchise has, has not done in a long time. Every guy we've ever drafted who's been injured generally turns out to be. Um, you know, that injury ends up having you know, lingering effects on them. Um, so you look at it, you know, maybe there's no guys who are 10 out of 10, but you've got a whole bunch of 6s, 7s, and 8s. And then you can all put together. And when you've got Adams and May at safety, and who knows, maybe you throw in Ashton Davis. All of us, and then of course you throw in, you know, Greg Williams, who loves to look at these guys as chess pieces and maneuver them, and you know, use Adams as a blitzer. And, and you know, there's there's real potential in this defensive backfield here. And and when we were talking earlier about outside linebackers, you know, one of the things that was frustrating about last year, you know, besides the Jets getting, you know, particularly in the first half of the season, getting decimated by injuries. 
there you go, heading into training camp. It's like, oh, man, can you imagine what a pair of inside linebackers like C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson are going to be like? And then, of course, the Jets got to see none of that because Williamson got injured in the preseason, Mosley got injured in the first game, and then we just kept going through. You know, you know, Blake Cashman, the rookie, ended up looking like he was going to, you know, making a nice impact, and he got hurt. Um, it felt like by the end of the season they were pulling up guys off the street and saying, hey, congratulations, you're the next inside linebacker of the New York Jets. Uh, and yet somehow Greg Williams got good play out of him. And so you put, you know, if you have two top-tier inside linebackers and considerably better cornerbacks and the two great, you know, that, and Quinton Williams plays up to it and it's all being coached by Greg Williams, hey, you know what, this is, this is a defense that could really impress people, could really be, you know, you could see a lot more sacks, see a lot more turnovers. The Jets' defense could get frightening. Um, but that's, you know, that's counting on no more injuries, everybody playing up to potential, and a whole bunch of other things that are uh, very far from sure things. It is kind of weird that the Jets do have four players in their secondary that are going to be fighting for roster spots that came from the Colts. You got Nate Hairston, as you mentioned, Pierre Desir, Quincy Wilson, and Matthias Fairley, who's fighting for a spot at safety. So it is sort of like the Indianapolis Jets back there in the secondary, minus obviously Adams and May. Let's talk about Joe Douglas, Adam Gase, and Sam Darnold. Sounds like you're pretty high on what Joe Douglas did in his first offseason. Overall, what kind of grade would you give him? And then let's pivot a little bit to Gase and to Darnold. How intertwined do you think their success is going to be? In other words, do you think that Gase needs a big year from Darnold to stay? And do you think that the Jets have done enough to put pieces around Darnold for him to actually be the success that we all are hoping for? You know... The Jets are an exasperating franchise in a whole bunch of different ways. And I think one of the you know recent years illuminate this in a way that a good NFL franchise, you can say the Patriots, but you could also probably say you know the Steelers or any, any team that's you know, consistently built for success. They have their general manager in place. The general manager has picked the head coach that they want in place, and they together have selected the quarterback that they want to have in place. You might argue that those are the three most important people in the organization, although there are probably a lot of you know left tackles and cornerbacks and edge rushers who might say, ah, I'm pretty important too. But really, you know, those are the three, and that's the order you have to get them in. And somehow the Jets have managed to do this completely backwards because the previous regime selected Sam Darnold. Now, everybody thinks he was a good pick. I think he's a good pick. Uh, one of my sons has his jersey. You know, we're, we're expecting good things, and I think I have seen enough things in the first two years of, of Darnold's career to say, yeah, this guy is pretty darn good. Um, maybe he's not the next Joe Montana. Maybe he's not an absolute, you know, blow the doors off, can completely control the game and befuddles other defenses, uh, you know, all the time. I mean, you, you want to see him more consistent. Um, you know, I didn't love the seeing ghosts comment and that ugly, ugly game against New England. But by and large, Sam Darnold has you know, all the tools he needs, and he really does show flashes of brilliance. So um, I, I'm pretty happy with him, and I, I think one of the great frustrations I have is how much I feel like this franchise hasn't put him in a position to succeed hasn't put the pieces around him to help him succeed. And really, for the first two years, he's had a terrible offensive line. And really, the Jets are lucky he's only missed six games, um, one of which was not for a game-related injury, but was the neurovirus. Um, the Jets you know, managed to have a, head co- a coach who was not selected by this general manager. Um, Gase was brought in to be the quarterback whisperer. I don't feel like I saw an enormous uh, you know, uh, performance from Gase in this role, but maybe I'm you know, coming to this 
I may be coming to this issue, Scott, with a bigger axe to grind than Paul Bunyan. Um, <laughs> and then we have Joe Douglas, who didn't pick either one of these guys. And, you know, Douglas is allegedly Gase's buddy. I do think when you look at the, the free agency decisions that the Jets have made, um, you know, Fant got some decent money. McGovern got some decent money. But really, by and large, the Jets did not, you know, have a lot of big long-term contracts. Uh, my sneaking suspicion, and this could be entirely me bringing my um, the, the raging hatred of Adam Gase that I have that burns with the passionate intensity of a thousand suns going supernova. With that in mind, I think Joe Douglas does not expect Adam Gase to be the guy in the long term. I think Adam Gase, I, I think Joe Douglas looks at Adam Gase, knows who he was in Miami, and knows that Adam Gase is not a guy who's he's just not going to do any better than he's done. That if he does, fantastic, and he will keep Adam Gase around, but he's fully ready for Adam Gase to guide the Jets to another 4-12, 5-11. Uh, you know, maybe they'll get 8-8, eight and eight, and maybe they'll try to spin that as a success. But I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, a decent shot that, that Adam Gase, at the end of another disappointing season, Joe Douglas looks and he says, you know, Adam, I'm sorry, we're buddies, but got to let you go. And then he can bring in the coach that uh, Joe Douglas really wants. I don't know who that is. I don't know who would be promoting Greg Williams. I assume Joe Douglas would want to find his own offensive guru to uh, continue to work with with Sam Darnold. But, uh, you know, the next uh, coach who'd go in there would have a decent amount of cap room, would not have, um, you know, would have flexibility to shape the roster for to the likings and to the tastes of the incoming coach. So, is this wish casting? Is this something I want to see? Well, actually, no. You know, if Adam Gase were to lead the Jets to a successful year, hey, good for you, Adam Gase. God bless you. Um, if Adam Gase, you know, leads the Jets to a Super Bowl, I will come on this podcast, Scott, and I will say nice things about Adam Gase. And I wouldn't even mind that because, you know, he will have actually done something he was supposed to do. But, I, you know, I just don't think he's capable of it. And, uh, you know, prove me wrong, Adam Gase. Um so that's where they are. So again, for two years, the the you know Sam Donald has been uh, running for his life all too frequently. Um, they went out and got him a a top tier uh, weapon to use in Le'Veon Bell last year, and, and that's an improvement. But I think without the, I think we learned last year just what Le'Veon Bell is without a solid offensive line, which is nothing special. Uh, that he can make two guys miss in the backfield, and then manage to fall forward for two yards. Um, but, you know, dumb penalties, holding, false starts, stuff like that. Um, you know, Sam Darnold was sent out there with a lot of third and 11s and third and 14s, and, you know, and, you know, a lot of frustrating three and outs because the Jets kept making dumb mistakes. Um, you know, there were a couple of drop passes, quite a few drop passes last year, which was frustrating. Um, guys getting injured. You know, it just was not a fully functional offense. And I just, you know, you know, before – uh, I'm hoping Sam Donald stays in the Jets green and white for, you know, many years to come. I hope he is the guy. I hope he's a quarterback for a decade or two decades or, you know, I hope he overtakes Tom Brady. Um, but certainly, if nothing else, before, you know, uh, before the, the uh, Donald, you know, is, is out of this rookie contract, can we please give him one year where he's got a really good line in front of him, good running backs who can, you know, get churn up and get tons of yards and get that tough yard when they need it on third and one. Give them some receivers who have sure hands, who can get open, who can get separation. Um, actually, I do, we haven't mentioned, but I think the Jets do have a decent uh, position at tight end between Chris Herndon and Ryan Griffin. Um, you know, put together a real team around this guy, and let's see what he can do. And my suspicion is is that you give 
you know, uh, Darnold in that circumstance, then he looks like Joe Montana. Then he looks like a world beater and create extend plays with his legs and everything we've seen in the flashes. Then we would start seeing consistently over a 16 game season. We'd see Darnold in the playoffs. I think if nothing else, you got to love this kid's moxie. He never seemed intimidated. He never seemed, well, other than the scene ghost night. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he always seems like a guy who could handle the pressure. He always seemed confident in those late game drives. And, uh, you know, I think the sky's the limit with Sam Darnold. But he's got to have the pieces around him. I think for two years, they just haven't done it. I think they finally took a big step in the category of the offensive line. But there's probably some backsliding at the receiver position. And I'm not quite sure that, uh, you know, it's a sort of problem that can be solved with creative play calling, but uh, just not expecting that from Dowell Loggins and Adam Gase. Sounds like, as it pertains to Adam Gase, your attitude is one that Dennis Leary would have referred to as Irish optimism. You hope for the worst, <laughs> and if the best happens, you can be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> accurate, accurate. You know, uh, the other one you could do the, the poster on the office of Fox Mulder in the X-Files which showed a UFO and it said, I want to believe, which is, you know, which is not the same as I believe, you know, as I want to believe in this regime and this, you know, and I, so far, you know, Douglas has shown me enough. I, again, I kind of also wonder, maybe Douglas is just an inherently cautious guy, but this was not a big splashy off season. This was a lot of very solid, you know, decisions and then, you know, things that made sense in the long term. I kind of wonder if he goes out, if, you know, if the season shakes, if the season shakes out the way I fear, and it's unsalvageable, and Gates is let go at the end of the year. Because clearly the Jets can't make midseason changes. Heavens to Betsy, you know, one in seven. <laughs> our, our, our ownership says, no, no, let's keep that guy. You know, um, that, that, you know in that type of a circumstance, then uh, I think Douglas would want to bring in his own guy. And with this new head coach that his pick, maybe they'd go a little crazier in, in free agency. and Maybe they'd go, they'd, you know, break the bank for a couple more of these, you know, bigger names that, uh, that are out there. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, that remains to be seen. And all in all, I'd much rather have a scenario where, the, you know, this Jets season is so good, the Jets have no choice but to keep Adam Gase. As much as many of us are not big fans of Adam Gase, I think most of us would agree that it would be well worth keeping Adam Gase if it meant that, A, Sam Darnold takes that leap, and B, he learns enough from his mistakes that the team ends up being successful this year. So let's keep our fingers crossed that Adam Gase exceeds all of our expectations. Jim Garrity, as always, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Always a blast talking Jets with you. Hope you'll come back soon. In the meantime, though, for people that want to follow you on social media, that want to check out what you're doing, what do you got going on? How can they get a hold of you? Uh, well, unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the world has not given me a ton of time to think too much about the Jets. In fact, chatting with you, Scott, was a, a nice vacation from all that. Uh, I'm at nationalreview.com. I can be found on Twitter at, at Jim Garrity, J-I-M-G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that as the season gets uh, heats up, I'll be able to turn my attention to that more. You'll see me tweeting about it more. I feel very bad. So I've been writing a lot about the coronavirus and writing a lot, writing a lot about, you know, uh, the labs in Wuhan and, and, you know, very, very serious stuff lately. And I can only wait for all the people who've started following me on Twitter in the last couple of months when fall comes along. And, and these folks are in other countries are like, why is he always screaming about airplanes? If we are to take the words of one of the Spruce twins, whichever one was playing the character at the time that he said it in the bar in Big Daddy, those goddamn Jets. <laughs> you got it, yeah. We've all uttered that phrase 
a lot, and hopefully we don't have to utter it that much in 2020. Go ahead and follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim Garrity. If you haven't given us a five-star review yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, really be grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets. Dot com.